In this section, we're going to go deeper into this concept of functional movement. And there's a really strong awareness in the yoga community of making the practice more sustainable, meaning that we are able to practice yoga when we are in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 60s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. That the practice is something that does not wear our body out or have a negative impact on us. And we're using modern movement science and some of the things that we are learning about the body very recently to impact the way that we teach yoga now, to update it, to make it more of what we want to take care of the body, not something that's going to have a negative impact in, on the body. So I told you my favorite question was, why? Why do you practice yoga? And I want you to put some actual thought into this. If you want to pause the video right now and sit down, maybe take a pen and a piece of paper and be like, yeah, why Why do I practice yoga? Or if you're a teacher, why do I teach yoga? Really dig past the surface and try to figure out what's your deeper why. Okay, hopefully you, you stopped and you took some time to really think about that. And then we'll move into some common examples of this. So why do you practice yoga? What brings you onto your mat? What makes you want to know more about philosophy, chanting, postures, everything? And then why did you make that step to transition from student to the role of teacher? And then thinking when you're in that role of teacher, the students who are in front of you why do they practice yoga? What, what do they want out of this experience, out of their time that they're putting into the practice? Okay, so here are some really common answers to why. The first one we've talked about a little bit, which is most people come to yoga saying like, oh, I want to I wanna be more flexible, and yoga is going to help me to do that. Um, to avoid the freshman 15, I have to make a little confession here. When I started practicing yoga, I was 18 and I was, I just graduated from high school. I had no idea what yoga really was. I got a tape. This is how old I am, like a, a VHS tape. Some of you don't even know what that is, but I got a VHS tape of a yoga practice and I started doing that with Denise Austin because my goal at that point was I wasn't going to be playing sports anymore. And I was afraid going to college, not being involved in a sport, that I was going to gain what they call the freshman 15, where you're studying all the time and eating snacks. My thought process and my understanding of yoga was very, very different from what it is now. But that was my why, if I'm being 100% honest. Um, to get better posture, a lot of people will say that. To get rid of back pain, people who have like chronic back tightness a lot of times will come to yoga thinking that that is something that will give them relief. To be able to sleep better, to, man to manage anxiety, to feel calm, to get better focus. These are all things that um, the impact that yoga has on the nervous system is something that will sometimes draw people into the practice. Some people will say, oh, yoga gives you a toned 
whatever, arms. Oh, people who do yoga have great arms and I want that. So I'm going to do yoga. Or you ever hear people talk about the yoga butt? Like, oh, everybody who does yoga has such a tight butt. I'm going to do yoga. That's a real thing. People, if we're being 100% honest, there are people who come to yoga and that's why. Um, and then we go into a totally opposite angle of that, which is to reach enlightenment. There are some people who know that yoga is a spiritual system and they want to spiritually develop themselves. So they say, well, I am working toward enlightenment and yoga is the path that I'm going to use to get there. And then another why would be to remove energy blocks to help that flow of energy. Just like people who practice Tai Chi or different sorts of Eastern movement practices would think of yoga as a way to move energy within the body. So that might be another reason why somebody would come into the practice. So you can see very, very wide scope of why people start yoga and why they're drawn to the practice. Now, why they stay with the practice can be a totally different thing of why they started it, but it's good to keep some of these things in mind. Okay, so in a very traditional sense, Yoga as a complete practice, the end goal of it is to reach enlightenment. That is what you are ultimately working toward in a classical definition of yoga. People who are coming to yoga twice a week at a studio very often are not working toward enlightenment. Or they might not understand that that's the end goal of a classic yoga practice. They just want to move and feel better and be more relaxed and maybe sleep better. And they know that yoga makes them feel good. And that's totally fine. So I wanted to talk about my definition, my functional definition of yoga. And that is that yoga is a system of tools that helps us to be a better functioning human being all around. Physically moving better so that we can participate in the world. Mentally having more clarity so that we can be more present in everything that we do in the world, to be a kinder, more compassionate version of ourselves, to have greater self-awareness, to be more physically capable and resilient, allowing us to better help the people around us, right? So if we don't work on ourselves and we become stiff and we have a lot of pain and we are weak and we become angry and irritable and we don't have self-awareness to maybe address some of our shortcomings or areas where improvement could be possible, we would be a very different version of ourselves. Um, I don't know who or what type of person I would be right now at the age of 35 if I didn't have yoga in my life for the past 15 years. I think my mind and my body would be very, very different. And the way that I engage with life would be very, very different. I really don't want to know what that would look like because I don't think it would be good. <laughs> but I truly believe that the functional application of yoga is that it makes us better at being human beings. The end goal of that might be enlightenment, but in a day-to-day -day sense, if your yoga practice is making you better at being a human and interacting with the world and the people around you, good application of yoga.
Okay, so this word functional, I'm going to throw it into the same category as like when we were talking about joint stability and I was like, I spent hours looking for the perfect definition of what a stable joint is that everybody agrees upon and I couldn't find one. Same thing with functional. <laughs> the definition of functional movement can really vary a lot, but here's what I'm going to give you to work with. Something that is functional has a specific purpose and it's related to the way that something works. It is designed to be practical and useful rather than just attractive. So you're asking yourself, does this, whatever I'm practicing, breath work, posture, meditation, does this have a practical application in my life? Is it going to make me better at being a human being? Or am I doing this because it is aesthetically pleasing or I'm doing it because my ego says that I should be doing this or any of the other um, ulterior motives that we might have for practicing yoga? Is it practical, useful, and serves a purpose? or is it for aesthetics or attention? Okay, so that's a, a thing that you can ask yourself. And this is not something that I want you to go around and like look at somebody else and be like, oh, they're practicing that because they just wanna do flashy poses. This is something that I want you to use with yourself as a form of self-reflection and to better understand what you want out of your own movement practice and what you wanna to give to your students for them to have in their movement practice. So these are two posts that I put on my Instagram account to help people understand functional yoga, right? So there's that definition of having a specific purpose related to the way that something operates or function, related to the way that the body operates and functions, and having a practical or useful application rather than just being attractive or flashy. Now. The opposite end of that, which is important to also keep in mind, is this idea of dogma in yoga. Dogma means having a fixed set of beliefs that you are, accept you are expected to accept and agree with without question. These are principles or rules that are presented as authoritative and make certain rules. So in the classical sense of teaching yoga, there was a guru and a student, and the student had to follow the guru's advice and instruction to the T without question and without deviation. We've seen that unfold in some very good ways, and we've also seen that unfold in some very unfortunate, upsetting ways in terms of gurus that have abused their power. But in terms of the student-teacher relationship, I want you to understand that a healthy student-teacher relationship is going to allow questioning and exploration. It is not going to be dogmatic. It's not going to be a teacher who says, follow what I say because I say so. There's a lot more of a back and forth and a, well, what do you think? How can we work through this? Why do you feel that way? How can we expand on this? That is a much healthier and more productive relationship between a student and a teacher, and it moves into that realm of functional, something that serves a purpose, the purpose being having a growth mindset 
rather than having a fixed mindset, right? So a fixed mindset is what gets us stuck. And there's all sorts of pitfalls when we go into that dogma, that rigid way of thinking, rather than keeping an open mind, keeping your knowledge fluid and flexible, and moving toward that, well, what, what purpose does this serve? The why, my favorite question, the why. If you can't ask why and have an intelligent conversation about it, then you probably should not be in that teaching space. So functional movement can really take a bunch of different forms. So we're going to ask, what is the purpose of that functional movement? Is it going to improve some sort of daily movement pattern, like being able to bend over and pick something up, being able to put your socks and shoes on? Um, is it going to improve the way a structure or a joint in the body functions, like getting more range of motion out of your shoulder? Does it counteract a shape that we spend too much time in? So when I'm sitting, doing these videos, creating these lectures, making these slideshows, I tend to sit for most of the time, but sometimes I'll go down on the floor and put my laptop there and go on my stomach, and I'm in a little bit of a backbend, because that counteracts the time that I spend in sitting, which we know is not ideal. So that serves a functional purpose of balancing out this, the time that I spend in sitting and the structures that are shortened when I'm in this position. Does it improve the energy flow in the body? Or if we wanted it to be a, a physical, tangible thing, does it improve the circulation of fluids? So the movement of energy or the movement of fluid throughout the body would be a very functional reason for doing certain movements. Does it work on our ability to meet challenge or expand our capacities. So as much as I don't promote the performance of what I'll call like flashy Instagram worthy yoga poses, I totally understand the value of picking a goal, picking a challenge and then saying to yourself, okay, I'm going to work on my, my discipline and my ability to apply and focus myself to work toward this goal of being able to do a handstand. So whether or not you reach that goal of being able to do a handstand is not so important as how you rise to that challenge and what the internal process is of understanding, well, do I work on these things consistently? What sort of challenges do I meet along the way? How am I expanding my ability to meet challenges and reach goals? All of that is a, a very functional thing to do within yoga. The last one that we probably don't think about that often is fun and social connection. A lot of people go to yoga studios and practice yoga in groups, in community, because it creates this incredible social connection and support. That is a function of doing yoga in a group. It's also fun. I think we overlook the, the need and the importance for fun in our daily life, right? You can like get wrapped up into going to work and commuting and cleaning your house and cooking and forget that sometimes like being playful and laughing and having fun is the most important thing that we do to feed our soul. And I know I'm guilty of it. Sometimes we just make yoga too serious, like it's 
the most important thing in the whole world and don't laugh and be completely focused. But the reality is that it's okay to, to have some fun in certain contexts at certain points during the yoga practice. It can be really, really functional and very appropriate for us to be able to, to have a good time and laugh about things. And, and laughter and fun creates a stronger social bond. So keep that in mind. Maybe sometimes we don't do super serious yoga practice and that is great. So in terms of functional and what functional movement is, I just want you to take a moment and think, what movement do I do during the day? Get really specific, think like super hard. So the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I usually reach over and touch my phone to check what time it is to make sure I'm not late for work. <laughs> and then if I have a couple minutes to sit there and rest, then I'll take my blankets off and then I climb down the ladder. I sleep in a loft. So I climb down the ladder and then I go over and I turn on the stove to make coffee. And then I start to get ready for work. So walking, climbing, moving my arm, turning, all of these little movements, bending over to pick up my shoes, to put my shoes on, reaching up to the shelf to get my shirt, um, then carrying my bag, getting into the car. I need to function in my day. And you might have some other movements, depending on the demands of your job, some other movements that you need to function. But these are the seven basic movement patterns. And I am so happy to say that yoga covers more of these than not. So squatting, check. Lunging, check pushing, whether it's the wall or the floor, we do a lot of pushing. Pulling, not so much. We'll talk about that later. Bending down, yep, got that. Twisting, mm-hmm. And then gait, walking. We Sometimes we'll do um, a little bit of like walking meditation. I know at our studio, every once in a while, we'll have the students do a little bit of walking meditation. But um, other than that, we don't do a lot of gait necessarily in yoga. But all of these other other things besides pulling, yoga does such a good job of hitting the basic movement patterns. So yay for yoga. Okay. Another way of thinking about functional movement is what we call developmental movement patterns. And this is basically saying looking at a baby, brand new newborn baby, does not have too much control of their body. They can't lift their head up yet. They can't sit upright yet. You have to like hold them and keep them safe, swaddle them and keep them in little bassinets and things that will keep them safe. But little by little, certain movements are developed, like being able to go onto the belly and lift the head up, being able to roll onto the back and have the feet up in the air, being able to roll onto the belly, being able to roll onto the back, being able to crawl, being able to stand up, being able to walk a few steps, um, squatting to play with a toy. All of those things, one skill builds onto the next skill, but there's a very specific pattern of how those things develop. And that pattern is important because it's starting with a foundation of head and neck control and then 
little more trunk control, a little more stability of the limbs, building, building, building until you can stand, until you can walk, until you can run. So it creates this pattern of building strength, stability, and endurance in the exact sequence that it is needed to get you ready for the next movement. Um, and there's a lot of people who like to pull developmental movement patterns into yoga, into movement practices, because this is the foundation of all higher level movement in the body. And very often, like having an adult, I love to do like crawling movements and seeing how the body feels or where I feel weakness or where I feel strength. You can learn a lot about that because as most adults have not done any sort of crawling in a long time, you can go back and start to uncover little things like, oh, that, that left hip doesn't quite feel as strong as having a little bit more fatigue than the other hip. Um, you might pick up on little things like that that are very interesting. So here's a question that I ask myself when I'm structuring a class and picking what right? We could always find other things to do besides going to yoga class, always. But we make that time and we say, I'm going to yoga. So for that hour, or maybe you have an hour and 15 minutes, if you're really lucky, to teach your students and to have them do specific movements, what movements are you going to pick that is going to be the most beneficial to them, that is going to have the most application to what they have to do during their day, to make them strong, resist, or if I am a construction worker, the physical demands of my day are like very, very different. But for most of us, we all have to sit in a chair. We all have to bend over to pick things up. We all have to put our socks and shoes on. So things like chair pose, malasana squat. I use this position all the time. Um, I try to just work it into my day if I have to pick something up, or sometimes I'll put my laptop on something low and then squat for a little while and do some work. Crossing my leg, I try to sort of pick something up. Also giving really good input to the vestibular system, which is something that we'll talk about another day. Input to the vestibular system. Okay, getting on and off the floor. I love that we do this in yoga. There are some different ways. So we tend to, to sort of fall into patterns of always doing up and down the same way. But here's some fun ones, like going cross-legged on the floor and then just trying to stand up from there is a, a balance test that we'll use sometimes in therapy. But it's a fun little way to see, like, how do my hips and my knees and my ankles feel with that movement? And can I maintain that dynamic balance when I do that transition? And then you go down to the bottom here with the chair. This is what I do when I teach my class for people with Parkinson's disease or people with back pain. We use a chair, we put a foot up, we put another foot up, we stop, we get our balance, and then we start to stack our joints to go up into standing. So many people stop going on and off the floor because they are scared that if they get down there, they're not going to be able to get back up. And that's something that we can help older people with or people who have injuries. It's not just older people to feel comfortable getting on and off the floor because the floor is an amazing place to move. Just going flat on your back on the floor, which is homework that I give my patients very regularly. Get on the floor for five minutes every day when you get home and just be flat. 
Let gravity stretch you out. Let your head come back into line with your shoulders. Open your arms out to the sides. Let your legs relax. Just be on the floor. People who are scared of getting on and off the floor lose that benefit or being able to like roll around and stretch your back and stretch your legs. It's not the same doing it on your bed. So as yoga teachers, we can help people to figure out how to feel safe getting up and down and how to keep that as a movement that you have in your daily life, whether it's with a chair or without a chair, either way, super beneficial. Lifting mechanics. The way that we lift objects, you can see some of these things mirrored in what we do in yoga practice. We've got a chair pose here. We've got a half squat here. We've got a full squat. We have a lunge. This is like, we call this a golfer's lift where you put one leg back and you have something to hold, but very similar to a warrior three or half forward fold here. Somebody grabbing this box and the body has a really nice hip flexion there. So application to how we pick up things and move them during the day. Now this is that idea of sometimes the postures that we do are not for their own benefit, but it's actually to counterbalance something else that we did during the day. I've been working on the computer for a little while right now, so I feel like I need all of these things. Legs up the wall to reverse my circulation. Um, cactus arms to like really stretch and open up my chest. Prone boat to get that strengthening in the back of the body. Hip extension. Bridge is such a great, great counterbalance pose to sitting. 90-90 pose, getting hip rotation because a lot of us don't get hip rotation during the day. So here's what I want you to be aware of. We are not endlessly seeking more and more range of motion. That doesn't serve a purpose. Why? Why do we need to put our leg behind our head? What is the functional reason for that? If it's about moving energy for you, that's great. Go for it. But just keep in mind that there is this cost to risk ratio that I'm going to talk about in the next slide that you have to ask yourself, well, is it really worth all of that? Am I idolizing extremes? As a culture, we just tend to idolize extreme things rather than trying to find the middle path. And the middle path is what yoga is constantly trying to draw us toward, the path of balance. Do I know the why? The why behind this? Why am I really doing this? Really, be honest with yourself. Why am I teaching? Why are my students here? Why am I here? That's going to help you in that whole process of, of self-study. Is this feeding my ego? And we see that a lot where people come onto their yoga mat and they're like, oh, I'm bad at that pose. I'm... You did the pose. You did it. You put effort into it. You were creating a stronger connection to your body. That's all there is. It's not this external judgment of, well, you did that pose well and you didn't do that pose well and that pose doesn't look pretty. That's not what we are here to do. So you're watching for those pitfalls with the ego, or I used to do this all the time. When I was a newer teacher, I felt like I needed to be able to do handstand and scorpion and split and all of the most advanced poses. And I would say to myself in my head, like, you're a teacher. 
why can't you do all the poses? And then I finally just figured out, like, that's, that's not my practice. And now I'm 110% okay with that. It's not my practice. And that's fine. I don't beat myself up over that anymore. But in the beginning, my ego was really strong. And it made me feel bad about not being able to do those poses. And I felt like being a good yoga teacher meant being able to do the most extreme poses. And that's just not the case. Ask yourself, is this based on aesthetics or garnering attention? Like being able to do lots of handstands and taking pictures of those handstands and posting them on social media so that you'll get lots of likes. There's a lot of people out there who are, who are stuck in that loop that's actually probably making them feel more fragmented than whole. Because that's the other thing that we're looking for in yoga, right? That experience of wholeness. So now we're going to talk about that risk to benefit ratio. And this is something I always like teachers to think about. When you select what you are teaching in class and what you are exposing your yoga students to, keep in mind the risk to benefit ratio, especially when we're trying to make yoga something that is less likely to cause injury. All right, and then you're going to ask yourself, in that risk to benefit ratio, is there another pose that would give me the same benefits with a lower risk of injuring my body? So here's that chart, okay? We have this, like, I'll say, like, doing headstand without your arms, okay? You've seen people like um, Dharma Mitra. A lot of times we'll have that picture, like, in the middle of a New York City street, just headstand on the head, arms stuck at the body, fully upside down. That is a pose that I would put in the high risk category because if you're doing that pose, sorry, the sun is moving so my lighting is getting all crazy. <laughs> if you are doing that pose, that is something where there is a risk of injuring your neck if you haven't adequately prepared yourself to do that sort of pose. Now, Dharma Mitra, years of practice, he has prepared himself, but other students, that might be a high risk pose for them. And you're like, well, are there other ways that I could go upside down and get the benefits of an inversion without the risk of maybe doing something undesirable to the structures in my neck? So what I like to do is look for this quadrant over here, low risk, high reward. These are the poses that are gonna make you feel great but have a lower risk of causing injury to your body. That's the stuff as a yoga teacher, teaching an open class where people can drop in, that I'm going to want to focus most of my time on because that's where I'm going to help my students get the most out of that hour that they've given me to guide them with the lowest risk of them injuring themselves. I do the same thing in my practice too though. It's just not worth it for me to, oh, there we go. I forgot I put this on the next slide. Headstand without arms, which is fine. I'm not saying don't do that pose. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's a higher risk pose compared to like legs up the wall on a bolster where you're getting a lot of the same benefits in terms of circulation. Not the same benefits for strength and stability, right? Different demands on the body here, different loading patterns on the body for sure, but if you're looking for an inversion, you can ask yourself, well, would it be okay for me to do legs up the wall or maybe shoulder stand? 
or maybe a different version of headstand using the arms and get the same benefit but not the risk of doing something to the neck. So the risk to benefit ratio. Here we go. The law of diminishing returns and this is something that I think applies definitely to what we put into our yoga practice if we are forcing things too hard. So it's like here, this is our most productive area when we're working in this slope right here. And then we hit that point of diminishing returns. So this is where we're getting into things that are like higher risk, but not as much benefit. And then we hit the point of maximum yield. And if we keep pushing past that injury, negative returns. Okay. So we want to stay in the green zone, maybe a little bit into the yellow, challenging yourself, testing yourself, but mostly in the green zone. And the, the newer your students are, the more you want to stay in the green zone. The older your students are, the more you want to stay in the green zone. It's just the reality, or maybe we could even say um, if you're teaching students who have some health conditions, stay closer to the green zone. You're not going into that riskier category. Okay, so here's a, a very interesting picture that, again, if you want to practice this pose, that's totally fine. But I just want you to understand that being able to do that does not equal being a great yoga student or a great yoga teacher. It just means that you can do that shape. It doesn't mean that that person has inner peace and clarity. <clears throat> okay, so a little different way of thinking. What if yoga was more focused on self-acceptance instead of self-improvement? Would you still practice yoga if your practice if your postures were going to stay exactly the same as they are right now, if you were never going to make any progress or get any more flexibility or strength that was just purely for moving your body, would you still practice or would it lose its interest? Because a lot of us get stuck on the hamster wheel of always having to do more, make progress and change, or we get bored and we want to do something else. So, if yoga is truly a practice of self-acceptance, you have to come to that point of, I don't need to make my poses better. My poses are great exactly the way that they are right now. Now, the irony of that situation is that if you are practicing regularly, your body's going to change. There's always change, right? We're aging. Aging is a constant process of change. If you are moving your body and stressing it or not stressing it enough and going into atrophy, that's another source of change. So change is always happening. Things are really never going to be the same. But from a philosophical challenge, I just want you to think to yourself, if my practice always stayed exactly the same, would I still do it? Can you find contentment and joy in that practice. If your down dog was always exactly the way it is right now, maybe your heels don't touch, maybe your knees aren't straight, and that's okay. My down dog is still like that. 15 years later, still bending my knees, and I'm okay with that. That's my down dog, and it feels good. And that movement is an expression of what my body can do. Are you stuck in that process of always having to feel progress and achievement for it to have meaning? Or can you settle into contentment with what is? 
right? If we go back to the yoga yamas and niyamas and we think about santosha, about contentment, can you be content with exactly the way your movement is right now? Or do you get frustrated that things are not changing and getting better? That can be a big source of discontentment within our yoga practice that we can feel like, well, I have to always make change. If I'm, if I'm not making change, I'm not working hard enough. But try not to get stuck in that pattern. And this is why. Because our physical abilities, our outer abilities with our body, are not what truly give us inner peace. Movement is a great tool to give us clarity and to work off extra energy, and I love movement. And movement can be so great for my mental health to make me feel happier, for sure. But that doesn't mean that being able to do a handstand means that I also have perfect mental clarity. The two don't always equate to each other. And I'm going to read these two different quotes that really drive that point home. Um, Jivana Heyman is the founder of Accessible Yoga. He is somebody who wants to expand yoga to people who have different physical abilities, mental abilities, um, different socioeconomic statuses, making yoga available to the people that maybe thought that yoga wasn't really for them. So here's his quote. I've let go of the idea of advanced versus beginner in yoga classes. To me, the advanced yogi is the one at peace within themselves and offering service to the world. Very different idea of an advanced yogi than what we would normally picture. Okay, another one from um, Richard Freeman. You can have a very advanced practice and not be able to lift your arm over your head. And the reason for that is the physicality of our practice is not the totality of our practice. The physical aspect of our practice is a sliver, and it does not create the entire practice of yoga, right? There's so much more. There's the internal aspect that is so, so vital. All right, one more quote. I really like quotes. You may be compromising your health, chasing shapes. Sometimes those shapes are not meant for our body, and we try to cram our body into it, and we can cause damage. All right, so another aspect of functional movement. Does this improve the way something works? Does this improve the way that a joint is working? Is it helping it to be lubricated? The controlled articular rotations, which is a part of that kin stretch program that I've talked about a few times, helps to improve the range of motion and the control at a joint, lubricates, creates comparison. So what I mean by comparison is we'll feel this when we step on our yoga mat, right? If you are on your yoga mat and you do down dog one day and then you do down dog another day, like today my calves are really tight. I know I'm going to practice after this and I'll be like, oh, calves. And then tomorrow I might do down dog again and be like, okay, calves are a little looser, feeling better today. So I get a comparison of what does my body feel like today what does my body feel like right now while I'm in this pose? Different from every other downward dog that I've done over my 15, 18 years of practice. All right. Uncovers issues. What's going on with that hip? It's going to give you an inkling that something is maybe a little off with that area of the body and it needs more of our attention. It's like an early warning system. So another way to think about functional movement is to expand our capacity, right? That idea of challenge. 
I'm not against practicing fancy shapes. I just think that you need to do it for the right reasons. If you are all about like challenging your body and seeing your maximum potential, that is amazing. That is wonderful. Challenge yourself. Work on your discipline. Focus and create consistency in your practice to reach a goal because that, that is a good way to work on your self-development. But don't do it because of the attention that you're going to get for posting a picture like that. The other functional application of yoga is to improve the flow of energy. So depending on where you stand in the world of tangible versus intangible, physical body or gross body versus the subtle body, this may or may not land with you well, but the root of why we practice a lot of yoga poses is actually to clear energy channels and to allow free flow of energy within the body. So this picture, um, maybe one day we'll talk about the values or I'll do a course on the values or the winds of the body. We talk about the movement of the energy in different directions and what function those energies serve. Okay, fun. Sometimes the function of yoga is fun. If you've ever done acro yoga, super, super fun. I highly recommend it. If you have a friend or a partner, try acro yoga. So, so fun. Sorry, the, the lighting is just getting worse and worse as the sun is going down. Acro yoga is just the most fun time. Or even partner yoga where you're helping each other. It's, it's so different because you're not fully... In your internal space, you are a mixture of being in your internal space and interacting with that other person. But it is just partner yoga, acro yoga, um, different sorts of movement explorations. Now they have like hammocks that you can do things with. I took a class on laughter yoga when I was at Yogaville several years ago and my roommate had to like kind of drag me into it I hate to say I was like this is ridiculous I do not want to try laughter yoga I'm going to feel absurd it was possibly the most fun thing one of the most fun things that I've ever done and I left there feeling so so happy and joyful it was ridiculous so if you ever get to try laughter yoga do it it's a great experience do not ever underestimate the importance of fun. Sustainability and movement. So the whole idea is that risk to benefit ratio. When we are doing high risk poses all the time in our practice, what's going to happen is eventually something is going to give. Um, we're going to wear out a hip or a shoulder or something is going to take that strain, right? So in the span of things, we might eventually have to get surgery. Um, Jill Miller is a teacher that I respect very much, and she has been very open about how doing very aggressive splits and hip openers for years and years um, ended up making her need a hip replacement. She wore out her hip. It was just no more cartilage in there. She had to get a hip replacement, and she is like in amazing shape. So it's not like it was weakness in her body, but she wore out the joint. She was talking about how she doesn't do front splits anymore because she used to force her body into that. She thinks that's a big part of what actually caused her to need that hip replacement. There are other yoga teachers who are also talking about the same thing. 
how forcing themselves and doing like aggressive repetitive practice cause damage to their body in the long term. And we hate to think of yoga as something that could cause damage, but any movement when it's applied in a way that is not sustainable could do that, right? So we are learning and we are growing as yoga teachers and we are in practice yoga for the next 30, 60, 90, 100 years of their life. And we want it to feel good and we want it to be joyful movement. So moving well in your body into the years ahead, being able to have resilience and challenge that is adapted to meet the needs of you in that specific area in your life. So something to think about in terms of function, and I'll repeat just always going back to that idea of why. Why am I practicing yoga? Why am I teaching yoga? Why am I a student? What is my deeper, deeper meaning of why? All right. Thank you so much for being here. We're getting through some of this information. You're building up that foundation to go on to learn the muscles, but more importantly, to learn.